How are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us this morning. Good morning, Creston Campus. Hello, everybody at St. Greg's, everybody watching online. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Second Kings chapter 5, that's where we're going to be at again today. Uh, this is the last week of the series that we've been in the past several weeks called Great Expectations. And we've been looking at, we've been talking about, anticipating what God has next for our lives. Um, next week, we're starting a brand new series um, called Signs of the Times, and we're going to dive into some end time stuff. Uh, so some of you will be super excited about that. Others of you will be like, uh, I don't know. I probably fall in the uh, I don't know category, uh, but that's next week. Let me start off today like this. Um, so I'm going to close this thing out. Um, I had this thing when I was a kid, and, and all of us probably had this thing. Some of us probably still have it, um, but I got in trouble quite a bit, uh, especially on holidays like my birthday and Christmas, um, and, and there's a reason for it. Um, let's say that I can specifically remember the year I had a birthday party at Burger King. I don't know if you've ever had a birthday party at Burger King or not, um, but Burger King, uh, anyway, um, the reason as a kid you wanted to have a birthday party at Burger King, where I lived, um, the town next to us, North Canton, Ohio, had a Burger King that had a pirate ship inside of it, and you had pirate-themed birthday parties, and they were awesome. And so let's say um, on this particular party, the party was like from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, and, and I will never forget, 3 o'clock? The party started. Now, listen, I've always been that guy. Like, if you say 3 o'clock, we need to be there at 2.55, like, or whenever, like early. I've been that way since a kid. And so I went to my mom at 3 o'clock, and I was like, hey, it's time to open a presents. And she said, no. And I'm like, well, then when are we going to do it? And she said, just enjoy time with your friends, Ryan. I'm like, half these people aren't even my friends. I just invited them because their parents are rich and they're going to bring me like a really good gift. That's the reason. Like, I don't even know that girl. Can, can we just like open presents? And, and she said this. She said, Ryan, it's your birthday and it's about being around your friends. It's about being around people. I'm like, no, it's not. It's about getting gifts. And so we went back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, we need to open the gifts. We need to open the gifts. And my mom finally looked at me and said, I will set all this stuff on fire. You go enjoy your friends. I was like, all right. And so I waited till uh, about 3.15 to ask again. Um, and then we finally opened presents. Um, but that's the way that I was as a kid. I wanted the presents. Now, today, I love getting a good present. And, and so do you, like a good present. Some of you are like, is there a bad present? Yeah. I've been given some bad, pre have you ever been given a bad present? I've been given some weird stuff, like some weird, there are some weird things in my office. I've got, I've been given some weird, 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 weird stuff. Now I know there's always that person that's going to say, it's not the gift, it's the thought that counts. You should stop thinking. Like really, that's the problem. Christmas, Christmas is the same way. Like at Christmas, I was the kid, I could not wake up for school, but 4 a.m. on Christmas morning, whoo -hoo -hoo, I was up, I was ready, and I would run into my parents' room, and I'd be like, it's time to open presents, time to open presents. And they would say, Ryan, God is still asleep. Go back to bed. No, we got to open the presents. And, and they would say, it's not about the presents, it, it's about the people, and we've got to wait until family gets here and all of that. And I'm like, no, I've got an Atari underneath the tree. I need to open it up. I need to play some Space Invaders. Like, we, we need to go. And so I keep trying and trying and trying, and, and they were always just like, go back to sleep, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. Actually, my mom said, go back to sleep or I'll burn it all. She kind of had those tendencies. Um, that's the way I used to be as a kid. Now, as I've gotten older, 
Like, I still love a good present, but I love being around people more. Like, I love the, the presence, but I love the presence of people even more. Um, th- this was so evident to me this past Christmas. This was the first time um, that both my kids, um, they, they were away. They, they both go to school, and so they're out of the house, and they were with us at Christmas time. And, and just having them there was incredible. Yes, we were opening presents, but the presence of them being there was just like this this new experience and this this understanding of yeah it's about the presence. Now I say all that to say this: the same thing is true in my relationship with God. And th- there are people here now. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with this. When we pray, we want the presence of God. Like we we and, and listen, I'm not saying we can't ask God for stuff. Like have you ever felt like have you ever been shamed because? you were told you shouldn't pray for something. You, you ever done that? Shouldn't be praying for that promotion, but but I want a promotion, but you shouldn't be praying for it. No, 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 listen. I'm all about asking God for the promotion. God, give me that job. God, let me get that relationship. God, give me that Hellcat. I've maybe thrown that up once or twice. God, give me the, I, I'm all about, I'm all about that. I'm all about the presence, but sometimes going after the presence, the stuff, can distract us. Sometimes just going after the, the presence of God can, can take us down a path that we shouldn't go down. Like, like how many of you right now would raise your hand right now and say that you're thankful God did not give you everything you've ever asked for? Okay? Because like, who would you be married to? So I'm not saying don't ask God for presence. I'm saying where the supernatural in our lives takes place is not when we seek the presence of God, the, the, the stuff of God, but when we seek the presence of God. Because here's why. If we're asking God for the wrong thing and our hearts and, and minds, see, see when, when, we're, when we're not focused in on, on him being with us and around us, his, his presence, our hearts and minds get distracted really easily by our own desires, our own wants, what we think that we need of our own expectations, right? And and, and when we begin to ask him for the right things, time in his presence, listen, it's impossible to stay the same if we continually come into the presence of God. So we should be seeking his presence. So what I want to do today is is I want to talk about seeking his presence and not his presence because um, there's so much growth in our lives that happened in that, in, in that. And, and there's so much more into these great expectations we have of God when we're more concerned about him being around us and with us and coming after us and understanding all of that than just getting something from him. And so I'm going to talk one more time about Naaman. been hanging out with him for five weeks in 2 Kings chapter 5. Real quick review. He's got leprosy, Got a servant girl. Servant girl says, hey, you need to go see the prophet in Samaria. When he goes to Samaria, though, remember, he doesn't go see the prophet. He goes see the king. He goes to the government. We talked all about that. And then we said, but the kindness of God and the patience of God gave him a second chance to go where God wanted him to go. Because that's the thing with God. He's patient and he's kind. And he's always going to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And so then Elisha, Naaman gets to Elisha's house. And Elisha, through a messenger, tells him, hey, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Wash yourself seven times, and and you're going to be healed. And we said that's immersion, right? We talked about that. Just immerse yourself in Jesus. And that week we saw over 20 people receive Jesus Christ into their life. That was spectacular. That was awesome. That was miraculous. That was was amazing. Then last week we talked about how Naaman didn't really understand 
how the whole God thing worked. And we talked about how we fall into that category so often. We don't, we don't really understand. Like, like we, we get that initial, like, yeah, things are happening. But as we, as we grow, we, we either stay focused on Jesus and we're walking with him or we begin to drift down a different way. And, and so Naaman, Naaman has this old thinking, this old way of thinking. And he, he asks him these questions. He wants to give him some gifts. And he's like, hey, kind of take some dirt, put it on my mule. And we went through all of what that meant. And then last week, remember, I told you, again, Naaman offered Elisha gifts. Remember that? And Elisha was like, I don't need stuff. Like, I don't, I don't need any presents. I will not expect, accept a gift from you. Naaman, go in peace. God's going to take care of you. When the time is right, God will speak to you and, and all of those things. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Because this is where this story, this story's already been crazy, right? But it gets even more crazy. Verse 20. But Gehazi, now let me pause real quick. If you're looking for a baby name, that ain't it. That's not. Your kid will not know how to pronounce his name until like 10th grade. What's your name? Gehazi. Anyway, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, and now, now don't, don't miss that, said to himself. Now, anytime we start having conversations in here and we're afraid to have them out here, it can go really bad, yes or no. Like, how, how many of you have ever had a really good idea when you started talking about it? Like, as you're talking about it, you're like, oh, Lord, that's horrible. Anybody done that? That happens to me weekly. Go, go ask Brenda. Like, I'll be in my office with a great idea, walk up to her office, start telling her, and, and it's just the look she gives me, like, you're an idiot. Anyway, he, he, keeps, he keeps his thought to himself right here, and he says, my master should have not let this Aramean get away. Now, hold up. The Aramean had a name. What was his name? Naaman. His name is Naaman. But see what Gehazi did? He categorized Naaman right here. And, and, and listen. If you take a person and you turn them into a category, you take advantage of them. In fact, you've heard me say this before. When we categorize, we demonize. And so it'd be saying like those white people, those black people, those Trump supporters, those Biden supporters, those gays. Anytime you put people in a group, we will always dehumanize them, always. Naaman had a name. Don't, don't miss that. Naaman had a name. And, and by the way, the group of people that you don't like, every one of them have names too. It's, a, it's amazing how much harder it is to hate people that we know. That's free, not really part of the message, but take that for what it is. My master, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. Like he has a Forrest Gump moment right here. I just started running, Janae. Anyway, I see fun stuff in the Bible. That's a great book. Read it. Verse 21. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. And so imagine this. Naaman is in his like little chariot, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and he sees somebody that he doesn't know running up behind him. And then watch this. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right, Naaman asked? He's like, did I, did I do something wrong? Maybe, maybe this was the messenger, I should have said this. Maybe Gehazi's the messenger that went out and told him the message, and so maybe he does know him. And so maybe he's like, you know, hey, did, does Elisha have something more for me? Did, did, I, did I miss something? Like, like is everything all right? What, what's going on? Verse 22, yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 70 five pounds 
of silver. Wouldn't we all want that right now? 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give them. Problem. He lied. Gehazi is lying. He's seeking the stuff. He's seeking the presence. And anytime we seek the presence, we lie. For, for example, God, if you give me this promotion, I'll do blank. Now, we mean it in the moment. Like, legit. We're sincere in the moment. But the further we get away from it, it's easier to compromise. I'm, I'm just saying, listen, the, the only reason I can preach about this is because I've done it so many times. He, he lied. And, and we've probably all done that. God, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never do it again. And then the next day, well, we're right back to doing the thing that we said we weren't going to do. Or, or we'll make deals and we'll put it on pause for a while. God, I'll never do that. And we, and we won't do X for, for so long. And then, and then all of a sudden we get what we think we need to get from God. And then we're right back into it because we've, we've compromised out. Because, yeah, we really didn't get there. We just wanted the presence Verse 23, by all means, take us twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. Now, you know you got some cash if you got servants carrying your stuff. <laughs> Who is that? Oh, that's my servant. What does he do? Carries my money. That's, that's what I do. You need some? He go carry it for you. Like, <laughs> that, that's crazy. Verse 24, but when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he went, look at this. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. Hid the gifts. Hid the, don't miss that. He hid the gifts. Listen, this is another message for another time, but when we start hiding stuff from the people that are closest to us, that's a, that's a problem. And in fact, this is what happens in the next verse. When he went to his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Now, this is an opportunity to tell the truth. You, you ever been in, in those situations? Yeah, you've done something wrong, and somebody starts to call you out on it, and, you, but, and you're like, oh, man, I'm right here. And, and you know, you feel inside, I, I, should, I just need to tell the truth. Like, we've done this. Probably most all of us have done this. I haven't been anywhere, he replied. Lied, right? But Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? This is what you call an oh crap moment right here in the Bible. He's busted, yes or no? Yeah, and watch where he does. Is this the time to receive money and clothing? Now, what did he receive? Did he receive money and clothing, yes or no? Yeah, but then Elisha, remember last week, at the end of last week, I told you a story about the bear. I told you, like, he's a little bit unstable. Watch what else he says. Money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards. Did he get olive groves and vineyards? No. Sheep and cattle, did he get sheep or cattle? Uh-uh. And male and female servants, did he get that? No. And so if you're looking at this, you're scratching your head, and you're going, Elisha, come on, man, that's a bit far. Like, he got silver and gold and some clothes, and, and, and that's it. Like, he got some cash and, and clothes. Like, that's, that's all he got. But Elisha is telling us something here, and, and it's this, and don't miss this. If you're seeking something with the wrong motives and you get it, the problem is you start wanting more. You have desire going haywire, and, and you wind up. See, it starts with money and clothing, and then it leads to olive groves. Like, that, that, that's what he's saying, because all of us understand that's true. Man, I, if I just had a new car, and you get the new car, and then you want the next new car. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. 
So watch what happens, verse 27. Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. That's intense, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and I think this comes down to Gehazi really wants presence more than he wants the presence of God. That'll change us. When we get focused in on just wanting the presence, just wanting that stuff, it, it changes us, change our relationships. Because if we, if we just seek God's presence instead of his presence, we're stuck in a rut probably for the rest of our lives. And Because if, if we're not careful, that rut becomes comfortable. And in those moments where we get stuck and, and we realize God isn't giving us what we want, we, we go back and we revert back to being spectators rather than participators. Listen, I know in my personal walk with God, there have been so many times where I want to just sit back and I want to take it easy. I want to be a spectator. I want to watch what God is doing. I, I just, I don't want him to do anything with me. I want to watch what he's doing because my life is good and my life is comfortable and, and everything. And, and, and that's the way, not just in our personal lives that it is, but in the church world too. I mean, honestly, there have been times in the church world where I've just wanted to sit back and be a spectator. But I know this personally from my life and from talking to other people that God does so much more in our lives as individuals when we're willing, when we're willing to take a step and go from spectator to participator. But when we do that, when we take that step and, and, we, and we realize, hey, I'm not going to just watch. I'm going to jump in to the presence of God. I'm going to participate. We face resistance. And we face problems. I want to show you how this plays out by, by looking at the very next story that happens right after this. Right after Gehazi, he turns white as snow. He's got leprosy all over him. And, and this is the next thing that happens in 2 Kings. Now, l- let me kind of set this up before we get into the story. Naaman getting cured is a miracle, right? At the same time, something supernatural happens to curse Gehazi and, and make him covered with leprosy, like instantly covered with leprosy, and he's white. And, and, and I'm not going to say that's a miracle or a curse or whatever, but, but, I, but I do need to say this. Every single miracle in the Bible started as a problem. And, and what I want to do with that is I want to encourage you today with this, that if you have a problem, it probably maybe means you're a candidate for a miracle. If you've got a lot of problems, you're a candidate for a lot of miracles. Listen, if, if you don't have problems, you can't experience miracles. I, I, I don't know. But, but you need to know, at the end of the day, God takes problems and he turns them into miracles. God always works out whatever for his good and his glory, right? And, and so that's for somebody with a problem. That's not even the point of the message, but, but it's there. Elisha faces a problem. Watch this. Verse um, 1 of chapter 6. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. They, they had what you would call growth problems. All of us have experienced growth problems. If you've got kids, you understand this, right? If you've ever bought kids' clothes, like, like you bought them some pants, and three months later, they're up at their ankles, and you're just like, you know what? Don't worry about that. Um, high waters are in style. Just roll with it. Um, my son, Jaira, went away to college in like late August, early September, um, and he started doing this business stuff, and he started going to these meetings, and he came home, and he said, he said, Dad, um, I need a suit. And so we went to Wilkie's, and we got him a suit, and when we were over getting him the suit, he's like, I need a couple sport jackets too. And so we got him a suit and a couple sport jackets in, in late August, early September. 
Christmas, two days before Christmas, he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm coming to town and I'm bringing my suit jackets because I want to see if Wade can like let them out because they're too tight. And I'm like, I don't think Wade can let those out, man. I think like you bought them and, and that's the way they are. So I called Wade. Wade's like, no, there's nothing I could do. Anyway, long story short, we go over there. Jaira has been in the gym for like one to three hours every single night. Like that's just, that's just his thing. He's gone in and he's grown. And so we went in and he went from a size 42. Now this is, this is let's, say, let's say beginning of September till end of December, he went from a size 42 to a size 46 jacket. Like growth problems. We, we've all experienced growth problems. In this story, they're having growth problems. And we don't really know the specifics of what's going on. We just know they came to Elisha and they said, listen, man, the, the place we're meeting right now, it's too small. It's a bit of a problem. Just real quick. Um, at Central, at our main campus, I, I know you look around and, and there are empty seats in our services and you argue every single week. We get this pushback of three services. I, I want you to hear me. The place we meet in is too small. We don't have room for our kids' programs. That's why we have three services. That's one of the main reasons why we have it. So we have room and space for our kids to grow because our kids are super important to us. And you ever try to drive and park somewhere in this parking lot when it's full? You ever done that? But, but listen, I'll say this. I get it. I understand. It's hard to do multiple services. Nobody gets that more than me or, or our staff. Like, we understand that. But I'm glad that we're able to step out of our comfort zone and into commitment because you know what I know about this place? This place has been a source of healing and hope and love and joy and change for so many people. There have been people in this room who have met Jesus. You've seen it. There have been people in, in, this, in this place that if this environment would not have been created, you wouldn't have made it through that season in your life. You wouldn't have made it through that breakup. You wouldn't have made it through that divorce. You wouldn't have made it through that job loss. You wouldn't have made it through that stress. You wouldn't have made it through that anxiety. You wouldn't have made it through that addiction. But because there was a group of people willing to step out of their comfort into commitment, an environment was created where more and more people could experience the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ in an environment where we all come together and we're unified over one purpose. If we have to add three more services, I'm in. Anybody else? Anyway, I'm just saying, for us, it's going to take us consistently being willing to step out of comfort and into commitment, because I, I don't know about you, but I know more people in the community need the message of hope and need the message of joy and need the message of peace and need to hear the name of Jesus and how he transforms lives. They need to know there's a God out there who is still crazy about them, no matter what they've been told by other people, especially the religious. Amen? And so there's this problem. And anytime you have a problem, and, 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 and their problem, their problem is, a, is a good problem, but, but a lot of times when we have problems, we, we need to look at the problem because problems lead to opportunity. Now, here's the opportunity in this story. They come to Elisha, and they're like, hey, we got a problem, but we figured out how to solve it, which is another message for another time. You go to somebody with a problem, have some, have some ways to solve it. But anyway, verse 2. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs that we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. So they found an opportunity out of their problem. Now, let me tell all of you an opportunity 
for us. Um, last May, we were able to purchase another building in town, Dirt Cheap. Um, it's our outreach center. We, we talk about it a lot. We haven't done anything with it, but we have this. And this outreach center is going to give so many avenues to us to continually reach this community for Jesus. Like, for real, there are literally limitless opportunities and possibilities of, of what we can do with having this building right here in the center of town. We're, we're going to be able to grow and watch God do some incredible things. God is like, like we have done a couple things in it, and they've been incredible. But, but the possibilities are limitless of what God is going to do here. But there's a problem. And, and this is where there's the opportunity for all of us. It's going to take money to get this thing up and running. And, and, and before, before I get into all of that, because I know you came in, you got an envelope, and you're like freaking out, what's going to happen? Th- this is what I want you to know. This is one of our opportunities. This is our opportunity. And the reason I say it's our opportunity, the reason I can say that is because I don't think God has ever called us to step backwards. God has called Central Church to move forward, to storm the gates of hell. And and I think he's called us to go forward with this opportunity. Now, I'm going to be real and raw and transparent with you. The thing that is most important to me in ministry is individual people meeting Jesus and people finding hope again. That's that's why we're going to do this campaign, because we've got to get something started here, and this is our opportunity. And, and let me tell you why this opportunity is so great. It parallels into the story. Because Elisha, Elisha, like, th- th- they come up to Elisha, and then watch this, verse 3. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said, which is awesome, because Elisha represented the presence of God. Now, this is what I know about our church. I don't know about other churches, but I got a whole lot of experience here. And, and I know a whole lot about this church, and this is what I know about this church. We are not perfect. There is nothing perfect about this church. We are going to screw something up every single week. You don't have the perfect pastor. You don't. We don't have perfect people here. Like, we are not perfect. But the one thing I know that's been consistent, that's been consistent of since day one of me coming here, and, and this isn't because of me. This was happening before me. But every single Sunday, without exception, I have personally, and and I know you have too, experienced the presence of God in this place. Whether it's during the worship set, whether during the message, whether it's during the invitation, the presence of God shows up. And let me tell you why that's important. Because it's the presence of God, not the pressure of man, that changes lives. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about when I say the pressure of man? Somebody comes up to you and says, this is what you need to do to change. If you just did this, you could be better. Read your Bible this much. Pray this much. Start doing this. Stop doing that. Go over here. And you know what? We can do all of that, and there can be some changes if we give in to the pressure of man, but that change doesn't last. But when you get somebody in the presence of God on a consistent basis, eventually he will bring them from where they are to where they need to be. God's work is way more powerful than man's work. Amen? And so all I want to do is create an environment where more and more and more and more people can experience the presence of God because the presence of God changes lives, which leads to this idea of commitment. Commitment. This is where you move 
from spectator to participator. Watch how it plays out in this story, verse 4. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. And so, like, I know at the beginning it said there were logs there, but the logs were actually trees. It wasn't like you just had a bunch of logs. You had to actually do work to make this happen. Cutting wood is hard, yes? I, I remember as a kid, my, my dad making me split firewood. And I don't know if you did that um, or not, if your dad made you do that or, or you just had that. And I don't know if you ever started out with like cutting down a tree, um, but my dad didn't have a chainsaw. And so we had ax and we're cutting down trees and it's hard work. It's commitment. It takes a while. It's not just like three swings and you're done, Paul Bunyan. Like it's not, it's not that. And so we would work all day and my brother and I would be out there and, and I could always do more than my brother. Like, and it always frustrated me. My brother's like five years younger than me. And, and so, but it was always just like, why can't you just do more? Like I'm working twice as much. My, my brother couldn't seem to get much done. And, and when I read this, it made me think back to those days. Because do you think when this group of people went down there, I think we can all agree that some people, that there were different types of people that went down there. And, and within those different type of people, there were different capabilities. Like there were people that were capable of chopping down one tree, and there were people capable of chopping down 10 trees, right? The same thing is true in the church world. Some people are capable of more than others, but everybody can do something. Can we agree, yes or no? Yeah. Now, this is where it's going to get tense because, you know, certain subjects you don't talk about in church. You don't. Like if I said, hey, next Sunday at Central, we're going to do a message on having a healthy body for God. And so when you walk in, we're going to have a scale, and we're going to ask you to step on it. And when you step on it, your weight is going to be shown up on the screen. Everybody here is going to say, you know what? I'm watching online next week. Listen, fun fact, if we're doing that, Pastor Ryan ain't showing up next Sunday either. So we don't talk about sensitive stuff. And so, yes, this is where I'm going to talk about money. See how tense it got? See that? Listen, if you've been around here for any amount of time, if you know me at all, you know I am not after anybody's money. Money means absolutely nothing to me. I don't talk about it very much around here, do I? But but you know what? You know what it's going to take for us to get some over-needed repairs done at that building, about a hundred grand. It's going to take about a hundred grand to start. And I want you to hear me. Some of us can chop down one tree. Some of us can chop down ten trees. But all of us can do something. So listen, I want to say this. I need to say this. If you're not a giver, I want to invite you to step into becoming a regular giver here at Central Church. One of our core values is give generously. So I would encourage you to take that step. Just take that step from moving from spectator to participator just right there. And if you are a giver, then I would ask you to begin to pray about what else can you do to help us get there? Here's why. Here's why. Because this is what this is about. It's about God doing something significant in every one of our lives as we participate in what he's doing. And he is about individuals. Let, let, let me show you. They're out of the Jordan. They're chopping down trees. Let me show you why this isn't just about a building. It's about individuals. Because every time you have an opportunity, you have distraction. I don't, I don't know about you, but I get distracted easily, very easily. I'm driving down the road, looking around. I can get distracted. Like, like you, ever, you ever been distracted by a text message? Come on now, be honest. Ever been driving distracted by a text message? There are legit things 
that distract us and take our eyes off the mission. And we could go around, we could share all kinds of things and tell funny stories right here. The problem is, if we're not careful, what we see sometimes as a distraction, it really isn't a distraction. It's the reason we're doing ministry. Let me show you what I mean. You've essentially got this huge building project going on. Elisha's there, and you've got the presence of God there, and you've got people cutting down trees, and and, and you got everything coming together. You got all of these moving parts. And, and then and, and then you got some like like obviously you gotta have some finances in order to get involved, but but then there comes a distraction. Verse five. As one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Now when I first read that, I was like, All right, wait, 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 wait. You got this massive building project going on, that's super important. And then you got Steve. I, that's not his name. I just give him that name. All right. I, I got to add names to the Bible sometime. That's not his name. But you got Steve, the axe guy, who lost his axe. And I'm like, what does this have to do with building this? There are more important things going on here, Steve, than you losing your axe. Look, I'm sorry you lost your axe head. Do you need a hug? Like, you need to go to Walmart and get another one? Like, Home Depot right down the street? Like, I, I don't understand. And then I realized this wasn't a distraction. There's a reason that this is in this story. There's a reason why it's here. Because this right here, this is where the miracle happens. Because the guy said the axe was borrowed. And by the way, that's an even bigger deal because in that society, if you borrowed something and you couldn't return it or you couldn't pay it back, they charge you double or they put you in jail or they killed you. So So there's a lot of fear in this statement of, oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. He's freaking out. But don't miss this. Steve, the axe guy, lost his axe in the middle of doing something he knew he was supposed to be doing. He was in the middle of doing something great. He was in the middle of doing something awesome. He's in the middle of being involved in a work of God. He's participating, and he lost something that was important to him. See, one of the things about the church world is a lot of times in the church world, we're like, hey, you know what? If you're out there doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing, and you hit a roadblock or you lose something, you deserve it. You you did wrong. It's God getting you back. But what about the people who are trying to get it right? What about the people who are constantly doing the right thing? Like you were showing up, you were reading your Bible, and you were praying, and you were serving, and you were giving. But then there was like some point in your life, in your past, like, like you thought you were doing all the right things, and then you lost something that was valuable to you. There are people in our church, you have lost something that's valuable to you. You lost a marriage. You lost a friendship. You lost a job. You, you lost about just all of your sanity. Like you, you, you've lost the ability to hold it together. You, you, you've lost the ability to stay sober. You, you've lost something, and then you think you're a distraction to what God is doing around you. And in the grand scheme of things, just like this outreach center project, you think you're unimportant because you think you're distracting us from what's going on. Well, let me let you know something. You're not a distraction from the ministry. You're the reason for the ministry. You're the reason we actually gather every single week. You're not a distraction. You're the reason the, the reason I know this is because we're about to see in a minute, we, we don't even know by the end of this story, we don't even know if the building gets built. We don't know if they have a bigger meeting space. We don't know. But we know what happens to Steve, the axe guy. And we know that because of the miracle. And every single person here, 
Here's the thing I know about every single one of us. Every one of us needs a miracle in our lives. Every one of us. In some area of your life, you need a miracle, whether it's physical whether it's relational, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, we need a miracle. We need a breakthrough. Our church needs a miracle right now. We ain't got an extra 100 grand sitting around. The, the, the roof at this place is like a sieve. Like the, it, it just, it leaks so bad. We need a miracle. But shame on us. And shame on me as a pastor if we focus on the big picture money miracle and we lose sight of the miracle each one of us needs. The reason I say that is because this is what happened. Look at this. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. Like, why why was he even concerned? Because people matter. Because people matter. And and where did it fall, by the way? Completely stupid question on the surface, right? You ever lost your keys or your phone and your wallet, and you tell somebody, man, I lost my phone, I don't know where it's, and and, and they'll say, where did you lose it? (laughs) I don't know, idiot. That's why it's lost, right? Anyway, where did it fall, the man of God asked, when he showed him the place. No, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. What he's really saying, what Elisha's really saying here is take me to the place where you lost it. Take me to the place where you lost your hope. Take me to the place where you lost your faith. For some of us, we've lost faith. We've lost hope. We've lost our joy somewhere. And God's like, take me to the place. Take me to the place. Because the place where you got hurt is actually the place where you're going to get healed. Take me to the place where you lost faith. Then the guy takes him there and watches. Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Hold up. This is funny. And some of you have read the rest of the story. You know what happens. But this guy hadn't. This guy hadn't read 2 Kings chapter 6 yet. He doesn't know. And so can you imagine going to the man of God and telling him, hey, I lost my axe, freaking out about it. And him saying, hey, okay, take me to where you lost it. So you think you're going to go out there and he's going to pray it. It's going to come up out of the water because, you know, he knows the story about Moses parting the Red Sea and all that. He gets out there and Elisha takes a stick. He cuts it and he throws it in. And and you're like, um, I don't know about this, man. I I don't, this is, can you imagine this guy? Elisha throws a stick in the water. What? I don't need a stick. I could possibly lose my life for losing this axe. Like, I, I'm going to take the rest of the sticks and, and beat you with it, Elisha. Like, I need an axe. It's in the water. But this is, a, this is a reminder to me of a song we sang last week. We do it around here all the time. It's that, that Waymaker song. And, and, and in there it says, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. When it makes zero sense at all to me, God is working. Do you know that God will bring a miracle about in your life in ways that you never saw it coming. In fact, if you did see it coming, it wouldn't be a miracle. If God had done exactly what you asked him to do when you asked him to do it in the exact way you wanted him to do it, would it have been a miracle, yes or no? No. And so Elijah cutting the stick and throwing it in the water, it's a reminder that God works and moves in our lives in ways we never expected him to do to begin with. And I love that. Then the axe floated to the surface. Can you imagine? Like, what in the world? Like, how's the axe floating to the surface? But that's not the miracle. It's not. You might think, well, that, that's miraculous. <laughs> you know, it's stone. It's, it's up at the surface. It, it, if the story ended there, you wouldn't know what happened. And, and I love how this finishes out because Elisha says, grab it. Grab it, Elisha said. In other words, the miracle is in front of you. 
But if you just stand there and admire it, you're never going to experience it. You've got to grab a hold of what God has put in front of you. You need to grab it. And the man reached out and grabbed onto it. I love that. I love that. Because God has said, I'm going to put a miracle in front of you. You've got to have the courage to just grab out, to reach out and grab onto your miracle. For us as a church, God has put this opportunity for this miracle in front of us. It's right down the street. We got to grab it. But as individuals, listen to me, I don't ever want to be the church that that celebrates something big happening for a building, but doesn't celebrate something big happening for people. I want for every single one of us in this experience to experience a a, a miracle and a breakthrough in our lives. Because here's what I know. As each one of us experiences a miracle and a breakthrough, the church will get where it needs to go. The church will grow. We'll get to where we need to be. I have absolute faith and confidence in that. You know why? Because at the end of the day, God is a way way maker. When, When it seems like there is no way, God will make a way. So let me ask you this question. And this question has nothing to do with the church, has everything to do with you. What's the miracle you need in your life right now? What's the miracle you need in your life today? Yes, I'm giving you an envelope and I'm asking you to financially pray about what you can do and make a commitment and and bring it back in next week. Yes, we are trying to raise $100,000 to repair a roof and do some inside things that need to be done at that building. Yes, on the back, it shows you, like we'll give you a, custom central church acts with your family name on it for every gift above $1,500. All of that is true. All of that is happening. But I want you to walk out of these doors today with hope that God is going to bring a breakthrough in your life. And I want you to have the expectation that he's going to bring it in a way that you never, ever, ever saw it coming. And he will do bigger and better things than you ever imagined because he cares about you and he loves you. And he's got a purpose for you.